0: Why hello, it is Adam. Welcome back to Bringing It Backwards, a podcast where both legendary and rising artists tell their own personal stories of how they achieve stardom. On this episode, we had a chance to chat with Foy Vance over Zoom video. Foy was born in North Ireland and then moved to Oklahoma for about five years and then back to Ireland. He talked about that and how he got into music. His dad was a singer and guitar player Foy really didn't start sharing his music with people or joining any band until he was out of high school. He released an EP after he graduated. He talked about what inspired him to really want to become a singer-songwriter. He talked about writing a song that just kind of came to him in the middle of the night, or actually he was performing at a, a bar, and he just started singing these words, and he said it was real late, so everyone was kind of... You know, wasted time so they weren't paying much attention to him. But he ended up going home, like writing the song out and realizing something traumatic had happened that same evening while the song was being written. He talks to us about the release of his first album, Hope, meeting Ed Sheeran, actually having Ed Sheeran be a huge fan of his when Ed Sheeran was younger. Now, full circle, he signed to Ed Sheeran's label. He's opened up for him. They have a duet together. And we hear all about Foy's new record, Signs of Life. You can watch the interview with Foy on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. It would be awesome if you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. And if you're listening to this on Spotify or Apple Music, it'd be amazing if you follow us there as well and hook us up with a five-star review.
1: We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: We're Bringing It Backwards with Foy Vance
1: pretty good actually pretty good it's been a good bit of a a sorting day bit of a reality day pragmatic day oh is that right you're right yeah sometimes normalcy is the best thing though normalcy is the best thing to shift a bit of something in you yeah just go and (laughs) clean the kitchen or do a couple of dump runs (laughs) that's
0: good um i'm adam by the way and i appreciate you uh taking time to come hang out with me i really appreciate it
1: no thank you good to meet you Adam.
0: So this is about this podcast is about you um, and your journey in the music industry and obviously you could talk about the new music and the the record that you have with Rag and Bone Man which I think is awesome. Awesome. Well, first off talk to me about where you you born, where were you born and raised?
1: Well, I was born in Bangor County Down, in mm-hmm. northeast coast of Ireland.
0: Uh,
1: but then at 8 months old, we moved to Canton, Oklahoma of all places.
0: Oh wow, uh, that's a move.
1: I know it's grown exponentially in the last sort of forty six years or whatever. Uh, there's now six hundred people living there. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I, I, I There was like hundred and eighty people living there when we moved. It was just farmers and stuff. My, my dad was a preacher,
0: mm-hmm. and he
1: got a he got a gig out there to like build the ch- like physically build the church. He was building the uh, and then he preached in it, obviously. But he, uh, we went out for that. So wow! And then Do you back, then across back the back world. After, yeah. i back to Bangor after about, I was about five when we came back to Bangor. So I, most of my memories are Bangor, obviously, but a lot of stuff. Oh, okay. Of so you, yeah, then. you were
0: only there for like five you like you said, a handful of years, and then you moved back then to Bangor yeah. Island. Okay, okay yeah. cool. <laughs> it,
1: it, had a, it had a way bigger impact on my brothers because they were, you know, because they were like in the peewee leagues and stuff and, you know, you know, playing quads in the, in the, in the school band and, they got a bit more of the experience than I did as a, as a kid, but, uh, mm-hmm. but we, we always looked back at it. Like it was the land of milk and honey, you know, my dad always used to say, why do we ever leave?
0: Uh, That's cool. I mean, how, what a big jump to be able to move from you know Ireland all clear across the United States. Now you're in Oklahoma of all, of all places. Right. And then, you know, then you, you move back after a few years, like, did, like, you said your dad helped build the the church like l- physically build the church and then preached in the church as well like how did that even happen did he like have guys there that he was like hiring on or like how did that how do you even get that gig and how do you move all the way across the country i mean that country the, <clears throat> excuse me the world
1: well it was a what do you call it a stream of church a breed of church a creed of church a, a, a brand of church i don't know what you call it yeah whatever it was, it was called church of christ Okay. Um, that's an American, it's an American uh upstart, you know. Uh um they're the ones that don't believe in having musical instruments when you're oh, you know when you're singing when you're worshiping or whatever, which was which is a weird concept, but at, at the same time it was kind of cool because mm-hmm. everyone then utilized their voices in a in a more interesting way, you know, finding the parts or whatever. Uh but yeah, so it was a, a breed of church called Church of Christ that was trying to make its inroads into Ireland. And, uh, mm-hmm. my dad met one of the folks there and he was invited out to the States to preach around. And when he was there, he got offered a job to, you know, they were looking to start a new church in Canton, Oklahoma. And, and my, dad, yeah, my dad, I don't think he was hired to actually physically build the church, but my dad, that, <laughs> that's, just that's did what he was it. like. You know what I mean? He was, you know, <laughs> when, when he was, he was preaching at night, but he was mixing concrete in the day. Even when he wasn't building the church, he, he had jobs like, you know, laboring jobs or whatever. Mm-hmm. He, he was handy that way. So. Uh, I think he just got mucked in him and the, the local farmers and they built it.
0: Wow. Wow. That's really fascinating. Uh, well, it's interesting that you said that they didn't have instruments in the church or that that church didn't believe in having instruments. It was all voice and vocals. Was that something that your whole family took part in? Like, is, can everyone sing in your family?
1: Uh, yeah, to a certain degree, my eldest brother Ethan, wouldn't be the best now to be honest. <laughs> he, uh, which is a shame because he, he can remember lots of words. I remember saying that to him <laughs> as a kid, I was going, you know all the words, it's a shame you can't sing. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I guess we all, we all sang um, in church. But you know, my dad, as soon as we were out of church, my dad had guitar never out of his hand.
0: Oh, you know? okay, so he's a musician <laughs> still.
1: Yeah, yeah, so it wasn't, a, I think that was just a, a weird adherence.
0: So, to, sure to, to what, what the church wants you know what i mean mm-hmm. i don't think he ever you know he he never thought what instruments were the, the devils or anything <laughs> right right okay so well he played guitar is that how you got him then music was through, yeah. through your dad yeah 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 i remember the- seeing
1: him i guess i would have been five or six
0: mm-hmm.
1: years old and i'd come home uh no it must have been six because we, we we'd been back in ireland for a while a minute, and I'd come home from school, and I, uh, I could hear my dad playing the guitar as always he did, um, and he was in the kitchen, and the door was closed, but it was one of those sort of glass, you know, those old windows that had had like steel steel lines to them. Oh so, yeah, you know,
0: yeah, hard to break. Okay. Away, but so I could mm-hmm. I could
1: see in basically.
0: You could see into uh, him.
1: Uh, so I could hear him singing, and I could see him sitting there, and he didn't see me because his eyes were closed, and he was lost. He was just lost, and I remember looking at it and think thinking, I you know I don't know where he is, but I need to find out how to get there as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. You know, because uh, that looks and sounds incredible. He's gone.
0: Yeah. Wow. And then, so did you ask your dad at that point, like, "Hey, can you teach me how to play guitar?" Or was that the first instrument you learned?
1: Uh, well, he'd already shown me a couple of bits. I was able to play the 12-bar, you know, the dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. He showed me the blues bar. Oh, okay. uh, so, yeah, and I, I was always singing, like, from no age. We were, there was always singing in the house from I was no age at all. Mm-hmm. You know, the, one of the coolest things is when we were in the States, um, we would keep in contact with the family back in Ireland, like my granny and my grandda and my cousins and all that, by audio tape. So really? they would record stories, and um, you know, of what's happening with who and what's going on, and, and then my granny would invariably cover one whole side of the tape with her just singing old hymns or something, uh, and my granda grumbling in the background, and uh, and then we would do the same to them. We would all get together and sing songs and send it back, and I've I've still got those tapes. You do? That's so awesome! Yeah, it's, wi- it's wild. It's wild. I, I go back and hear uh, hear us all singing. Uh, it's crazy.
0: That is so amazing. That is awesome. And especially to have your grandparents on on some of those tapes as well. Mm-hmm. Wow. I would kill to have that. That's insane. That's so cool.
1: Yeah, do you know what? I, I haven't done as much with with it as, as I've sort of initially as I initially desired to. You know, I mean, I did do one thing where I took out one song called He Touched Me, an old hymn that my granny sang. Mm-hmm. And one one Christmas years ago. Uh, I was asked to do a radio show in, in Belfast, so I took her voice and I had this guy, Andrew Skeet, uh, arrange a Salvation Army band, a brass band, sort of around it, and I duetted with my granny, who had been dead for 15 years at that point.
0: That's insane! Uh, That's yeah, so
1: it was awesome. insane. It wasn't insane. At that point, I thought I should do a record of this. This would be just wild, you know. Yeah, uh, just for myself, you know, for the love of it. But I haven't got around to it.
0: That's a lot of things, man. (laughs) What, I mean, I, how were, were, was your dad able to attend that show? Like, what did your parents think seeing that? Like, that's, that's so cool. Yeah. My mom
1: and all her sisters, uh, all my, all my granny's kids were, were blown away over the moon to hear their granny singing, hear their mom, sorry, on the radio singing. uh, Yeah. Yeah. It blew blew their minds.
0: Um, Yeah. What a special thing. That is so cool. That is really, really cool. Um, Okay. Wow. And I want to back up here a bit. So dad was playing guitar, teaching you some guitar around six. And then from there, did you kind of, once you learned chords, were you like off to the races with it and and writing and, or how did that, like, how did your music, you know, journey kind of progress from there?
1: No, I, do you know what? I guess it was, Partly the nature of the the world that I grew up in, that mm-hmm. I'm surrounded by. I didn't know anyone that was an artist. I didn't know anyone that made music. I didn't know anyone that knew anyone that made music for a living. It was just unheard of to me. I'd never I never considered it. Uh, I just thought it was my private passion, you know, and I would uh, piano is what I played most, you know. Uh, my dad got me a, a keyboard and I played that as much as I played the guitar, to be honest, but it was always something I just did on my own. And once in a while I'd be out with friends and I'd start singing and a few of them would go here, you can actually sing. And then I would, you know, shut up, you know, don't be doing that. (laughs) Don't be doing that. Don't be showing you can, don't be doing that. Um, Yeah. So I never really, it was only like when I got to about 17, 16, 17, I started meeting other kids that were actually had bands and stuff. And I was like, wow, you can do that and I never really kind of fitted into any of those bands, uh, which I think was probably my own. It was what I was bringing to it. I was feeling that inadequate, you know, that, I don't know mm-hmm. all the like kids that were in band, in, yeah. all kids that had sort of some semi rich parents, semi affluent parents. And, you know, they could rehearse in their garage and they all had gear New and gear. all that. <laughs> you know, I had nothing. I just rock up and feel like a tit going, I don't belong here. Uh, so I, I, it was a private passion for the longest time. And then I just started doing, uh, I started writing with a band when I was 17, 18, that I sort of fell in with. And it kind of went okay, but I was too flaky. I never saw, I never saw it for what it could have been. Mm-hmm. I just thought it was gotten around. And then, and then I got offered a gig through that as a singer in a soul band, which was just a covers band, but okay. they had three they had three gigs a week. So for the next two years, I was doing minimum three gigs a week. Uh, and it was only at the end of that two years when I, I was about to turn 20, I think,
0: mm-hmm.
1: it sort of dawned on me. I was like, hang on a second. This is the only thing I do now. I don't do anything other than music. I'm not, you know, it's not my own stuff and it's not, where i'd like to get to because at that stage i was starting to get interested in writing myself but i had nothing to say for fuck's sake you know I had nothing to say mm-hmm. um but i was intrigued by it but it was only then after two years of doing it that i, that I realized well this is actually a, a viable career I by that time i'd met you know folks that were in their 40s 50s and have made a career of doing this and i would never worked a, a normal job they've always just mm-hmm. played music and um and that was uh, that was when the penny dropped. It was like, wow. If I got my shit together here and put a bit of a plan in place and then worked my
0: ass off, I could maybe do something, Mm-hmm. you know? So, so, yeah. But from that, were you did you actually start? I mean, it sounds like you weren't really writing your own songs at that point. Or were you? And
1: I mean, I was, but they were terrible. And that's not me being uh, humble or self-effacing for, you know, any reason. It's just genuinely, they were horrible. Just, you know, borrowed knowledge. You know, th- there was nothing original in it. N- none of it came from uh, my core. You know what I mean? None of it mm-hmm. transcended the composite parts. If you know
0: well, That's I'm a saying. hard thing to find, right? I mean, you, it, it's to come right out the gate and just start writing these amazing mm-hmm. songs to know exactly who you are and what you sound, what you want your sound to be. I mean, I, I can't think of an artist off the top of my head that could that has done that i mean i don't know but like out of anyone i've interviewed it's never been like yeah and then i woke up and wrote this huge song and (laughs) and knew exactly what it was like i think that would be a hard thing to find
1: no it's it's a graft it's a graft it's like anything in life you know what i
0: mean Mm -hmm.
1: you want to become a great golfer you want to become a great boxer you want to become a great songwriter a great bricklayer graft Mm -hmm. do it and do it more than anyone else Find, find the person that's doing, doing it the best and doing it is doing it more than anyone else and then do twice what they're doing
0: <laughs> yeah for sure and, and you
1: and you'll definitely see a, a result definitely mm-hmm. in fact it's about work <laughs> ethic more than talent
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> so were you just writing at that point where you're like, okay, this is something that can happen. I see other people doing this as this is their life, they play songs and they and they get to be in bands and mm-hmm. or do you go home and you start writing songs like how do you then do you start playing shows just as like a singer songwriter? Like how, how does it go from there?
1: Yeah, I did that. I was still doing my cover gigs, but then I would find singer songwriter nights and I would show up there and, you know, exhibit my wares, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wrote some songs that, you know, had something by, by the end of that period, I was starting to get somewhere. I was starting to get a grasp on it, but I hadn't, it hadn't connected with me innately mm-hmm. at that point. I don't feel, um, and I guess the the, the truth of it is, uh, I got married at 23, and me and my wife thought at the time the best thing to do would be to move away, just to get away, focus our minds for a year, be married, figure out what we want to do. She was a painter, I was wanting to get a, I was wanting to just write songs at that point and do nothing else, and that's just focus on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we moved to Lanzarote in the Canary Islands for a year, wow. Um and within three months of moving there, I was I was doing a gig in a place called The Jellyfish in Costa Tegizi. And it was about one in the morning. And I was doing what I often did. I would try and make up songs on the spot and see if I could get away with it, you know? <laughs> uh, which was easier as the night went on because people were drunk. So, you know, you just right. kinda, if you find a good vibe, just sing some shit over it. Doesn't matter what it is. <laughs> Doesn't have to be doesn't have to make sense, just make noises and, and have crack. <clears throat> so I was doing that, and I kept singing this song. That just kept going crying, 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 crying in the night, crying in the night. Um, and it really affected me. It really affected me when I was singing it, and I couldn't stop singing it. I stayed in that sort of mantra for a long time. And then on the drive home, my wife at the time, Joanne, said, like, what was that crying, uh, the crying song? I said I don't know what it was. I was I was just sort of vibing on it, but it has something. There's there's something in it. It's pregnant with something, you know. I could feel it. It was different than other stuff I was writing, and I didn't really understand what, but there was something in it. And the wildest thing is, I went home and I and I I actually did have a really rough night. The, the song was affecting me, and I cried a lot. But the weirdest thing is, I woke up in the morning to the to the realization and the knowledge that my my dad, as I was singing that song, my dad died on the other side of the world.
0: Oh my uh, gosh.
1: In that moment, uh, another lyric that I kept, couldn't get away from was Jesus is coming like a thief in the night. Um, and then that ended up being the first line of the song. As soon as I heard the news on the phone from my mom and my brothers, I hung up. I walked out back. I lit a cigarette and I wrote Four verses without thought or without stopping, uh, and the verses they stayed exactly as they came, and then that happened for about that happened for about, fuck I don't know, felt like years. It was probably only like six months to a year or something. Songs then from that point on, it wasn't that they were on tap. It was that I couldn't switch the tap off. I, the tap was broke, and the you know the the faucet had been broken off, and the pipe was just gushing, and it was all. Huh. It was all kind of heavy, you know, picking at the scab shit, mm-hmm. um, which I'm, I'm glad of in hindsight. It was it was, sh- it was, shit at the time, or it was tough at the time to sing that stuff, but at the same time, it felt so fucking real. Uh, not stuff that I could have ever, re- or that I ever thought I should release, uh, but just as the, the experiment of really engaging with what I felt and going there with it rather than trying to think of a chorus that sounds nice or some bullshit. You know what
0: I mean? Right. You're just writing from the heart.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that, so that was that that was the change then. And it took me a while to kind of refit the tap and, and, and temper that flow a little bit. Mm-hmm. But ever since that time, the flow has always been pretty steady. As long as, as long as I do certain things and, you know, I'm, I'm clear of
0: mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, it always shows up for sure wow did those songs end up becoming what that first record was hope no
1: the oh. first record i ever made was called bailey's blood and it's been unreleased and it will remain unreleased as if i have anything to do with it <laughs> okay
0: yeah. so the, the songs that you're talking about the song that you wrote when you're about when your father passed away and everything that no one's heard those haven't came out they've never came, seen the light of day
1: they come out on an ep in about um about 2001 mm-hmm. uh which i have since bought every last existing copy of that and i have it in my <laughs> garage you really
0: yes, oh my gosh yeah yeah, yeah. Wow. No, there's, there's, a
1: few, there's a few people that have like the odd copy of their own that they uh-huh. have but but there's no there's no sort of i have all the boxes that are like right
0: I, I, so I, I couldn't I like it. discogs it and find somebody on the face of the planet that maybe is selling it on the eBay or something? Yeah, like someone that.
1: will be selling it on eBay, but listen, it's not worth it. Don't buy it. Don't <laughs> don't but
0: buy that's it. that's fascinating. So with those <laughs> songs, though, did you... like? How do you eventually get to putting out the Hope record? And obviously that did a lot of big things for you.
1: Well... I guess between making that first record, Bailey's Blood, and having the nightmare that I had with it, just the, the the manager that I had. To, well, he was a used car salesman. That says it all. <laughs> uh, it was. It was all. Well, it we was could probably go out and sell it.
0: you then, right? Like, all right. You know, I got this was, guy. It
1: was more <laughs> warfare at this point. <laughs> you know how to manage a business. Maybe you know how to manage an artist. I don't know. Yeah, anyway. We just we yeah it made a real hash of it and uh and by the time i it got to the point where I could have released the record, I just didn't want to I any mean, I'd already realized i don't want I don't want to stand by that, you know mm-hmm. what I mean uh, I'm glad I did it, the songs were important to write, clearly, you know coursework mm-hmm. um but i I didn't want that to be the first thing I put out in in the world, you know. But then sure I felt the same. As soon as I put hope out, within a week I was going, That's oh fuck i I should not have put that out like that.
0: <laughs> well, I'm I'm sure there's a millions of people that have begged to differ on that subject. But uh so do you go like I mean at least at least thousands. <laughs> at least thousands.
1: <laughs> there's literally tens and tens of people that would disagree with you therefore
0: okay well i mean the record does awesome you even had a song that made it onto a tv show with that album oh gabriel the vagabond yeah
1: i think that was that was actually the demo
0: oh it was the demo
1: yeah it was the demo that they used they didn't use the album version that that was a real pain actually because they used two songs in a week gray's and yeah gray's anatomy
0: yeah, used, they were big for like song breaking called, Arget, breaking bands and stuff. I mean, that, I that television show did a great job. Of, whoever was the music supervisor over there is like a, I'll tell a you, legend. It
1: was a, it, it was a woman called Alex Pat Savas okay. who's now going on to she's got her own, I think she's got her own label, her own publishing company, obviously. Her own, you know what I mean, she's, yeah, she was always going places. She was incredible. A real mm-hmm. switched on woman. Uh, mad inspired by her at the time. Even was going, wow, you're changing the game. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they put on a song called Homebird. And then a couple of weeks later, they put on a song called put on Gabriel and the Vagabond. Mm-hmm. And they were both they were both demos. Wow. So you couldn't buy it anywhere online. And I was <laughs> I was literally getting hate mail. I was getting hate mail from people. Uh, but, you know, because they couldn't get the song. Uh-huh. Uh, so I really missed the trick there. <laughs> were you like, like, it's on this record? record and they're
0: like, this is not the same version. <laughs> yeah.
1: I know, I know, right? I know. Yeah, no, my, most of my career has been by default rather than design.
0: Why do you say that?
1: Because it's true. Uh, (laughs) You know, I I haven't, I, I haven't always had, I have had moments obviously where I've made a plan Mm -hmm. and, you know, when you set the goal and you stick to it and you do the work that you need to do to get the goal met, um, but for the most part, you know, because by the age of 29, I still wasn't signed to a label. I had no manager at that point. I had a kid on the way. Mm-hmm. You know, I was paying the rent by gigs and working on the coffee roastery, you know.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it, it it was hard to make a plan. It was just do everything and anything that comes up that mm-hmm. you can mm-hmm. and take whatever Opportunities come from that, you know what I mean? Like uh like one of the saving graces for me, which was a bit was a design for sure, was uh getting support tours. That was a design. Mm -hmm. You know, I I was with I was with a girl called Phyllis uh, Belezos at the time at ITB, Mm -hmm. and and we pushed her. We went, look, here let's rather than focus on me doing these gigs and you know building it up and building it up, just get me as many supports with really cool folks as you can. Mm-hmm. And boy did she deliver. Um so the first year was Bonnie Raitt, and oh, it was, wow. And then it was Taj Mahal. And then it was <laughs> Buddy. Then it was Buddy Guy. Uh and then it was Tori Amos.
0: And oh, it, was, like, wow. it was just such
1: a it was such a wild variety of uh I mean the list goes on. It was um I got a great run of it for a while. And even even though I designed you know me and my managers had kind of designed this okay let's do that so as we can Mm -hmm. then you know pilfer from from someone else's crowd not not to steal them away from them but they're like is there any you know just get in front of different crowds that listen to different stuff
0: Mm
1: -hmm. uh, and see who's into it that proved to be gold
0: Mm -hmm.
1: that proved to be gold because word of mouth is something that you can you can count on you know what i mean you mm-hmm. see a poster in town that says this is going to be the best record you've ever heard. It's coming out next week from a guy you've never heard of. Chances are it's probably going to be shite.
0: <laughs> but, but, but you might give mate, it a listen. <laughs>
1: do you know what I mean? But, but if your mate says to you, hey, I went to see so and so the other night and the support band or the support act was, you know, blown away, like uh, mm-hmm. bought the CD and there you go. You're that's that's gold. Mm hmm. Uh, and it's real you can you can literally pay your rent on that shit Mm -hmm. um
0: yeah i mean it says something if somebody that you trust or you admire whatever is telling you like hey you should check this out like or your friends like hey this movie's great you'd probably go watch it just to see what they're saying if they're like oh you gotta see this guy play he's incredible i bought his his record it's oh okay and i bet you you've landed a lot of fans that way as well like Oh, if he likes them, then they must be cool, and, and I will. They co-signed on it, so I'm going to take a, a listen and a chance on this person.
1: And it was live was the only way for me to really do that. One, that's a way that I wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. Two, it's the way that I knew would make most sense because I, I didn't mind if people came to the show and didn't like me. That's okay. I mm-hmm. was interested in the people that came to the show and did like me. I was engaging with them, going, hey, "Okay, well, there you go. Mm-hmm. I'll be ba- I'll be back shortly." And then and then go to someone else's show. Okay, you're into it. And then, you know, just build it up like that. Because yeah. that that's uh, that's steady. You can, you know, let's... You build your audience that way. And also, I was, what, then thir- 30 at the time. You know, no, no one was putting... Uh, was going to put my songs on radio or whatever. There was one guy, my songs, my CD gets sent to a guy at radio. And the reply to my... PR or the radio push plugger at the time was I'm not even going to listen to this Julie if I if I hear another Irish singer songwriter I'm going to stick a knife in my ears so he didn't <laughs> wow. even listen to it
0: Do you oh, know what I mean wow. so like, I, yeah. and
1: I also I also realized in that thing like radio is just a different it's not music it's a it's music that's it's about music you sell it's music you were or whatever it's mm. not.
0: Uh, that's interesting yeah that, uh, you're spot on man from a guy that came from radio for the past 17 years i totally agree with everything you just said right there <laughs> Yeah, no, it's, it's, <laughs> it's not, a totally it's not a weird thing it's yeah
1: do you know what a, a couple of years back uh they put these jingles online from the 70s there and it was Jimi hendrix had done a jingle for radio one and it really? sounded it sounded fucking incredible. And I retweeted it going. Why is it that in the seventies, you know, jingles sounded like music and today music sounds like jingles. You know, it's, these, it's almost like a presidential speech, this little sort of s- second snippet of the thing and then repeat the other thing. And then re- go back to that and then repeat this thing.
0: Oh yeah. Total formula. And bastardize
1: all the words. I don't know what's going on with that. You, you can't sing normally and, and get on radio today. You got to, you got to say some weird shit to get on there.
0: Uh-huh. No. Right. And then it always evolves. If you get on certain, uh, if you, if you start off on an alternative station, then you cross over to the top 40 CHR station. Then it's like, okay, we got And it's funny. Cause thinking I worked for an alternative station. We played rag and bone man. Who's on your, you know, yeah. your, your song. We played human. And then it crossed over to top 40 radio. And it was like, they added some like upbeat, like, like beat under it. And I'm yeah. listening to him. Like what happened? Why does this sound so much different? I'm like, Oh they sped it up and add a add a little like flavor to it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like of course yeah. they did. <laughs> yeah. We've I've interviewed artists that we we used to play and it would be like they cut the whole intro of the song off so it just started with the voice and like it's just an interesting game that they play over there.
1: Yeah, and I don't even I don't know what the game is and I don't really want to know but uh, one thing I do understand is that the second there's any sniff of Making money from a track, suddenly everyone's interested, and for whatever reason, they want to spend shit tons of money on shit that doesn't actually change that much. I guess you know what with the with the music industry, as far as I'm concerned, every hit has a thousand fathers, and every miss is a bastard.
0: <laughs> I love that.
1: <laughs> you know what I mean? That's what they're yeah. like. That's what they're like. They that's what they're like. They, they don't. You got to understand the people that run this shit don't actually. I don't even think half of them like music.
0: <laughs> that is amazing um, I'm curious uh, was it on the Hope album cycle that you did the the prisons in England yeah it was around that time yeah Who was that like some Johnny was, Cash yeah, <laughs> inspiration you know
1: what I did one. I even started wearing black I really embraced it and went for it it was <laughs> a, a bit, bit tongue in cheek but I thought it was funny
0: that's um, awesome
1: I was just doing it to make myself laugh yeah uh, but it was uh yeah it was it was cool, like I think I'd gone in there quite honestly with with the with the impetus to or sorry with the with a view to um like return mm-hmm. to the, to the same which I did with a few of them I did return again, but the, the plan was to keep going back and then maybe set up a song writing workshop because I know what's I know what songs did for me, uh-huh, you know what I mean like genuinely engaging with the reality of me and reality of anything that I think and feel transformed me and give me, give me a, give me a way out, give me an, give me a way of expressing, give me a way of being real with myself, you know, being my own counsel. Well, music's been my counsel, but you know what I mean? And I thought, well, what better place to go? I mean, you know, mm-hmm. to go and try and share songwriting and, and that, with you know, with that view, and not to push it, not to push that agenda and go in and go, all right, everyone, let's talk about all the people you killed. You know what I mean?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say, I'm going to come, I'm going to come back. And I didn't know if you're going to be like, but I'm going to be incarcerated this time or something like You never know There's time yet. <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, so I want to talk to you about, so then the next, uh, uh, b- a piece of music or body of work you put out was the Melrose EP and that was something that even became what the score to a movie a short that's film that's right did yeah, it start off as four- uh, a record or as the score
1: do you know what it started off uh, as just me and David Holmes uh, the mm-hmm. producer from Belfast uh, it just started off with him and I working together really out, out of intrigue you know to see what, 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 what would happen if we worked together. And then we ended up doing a sort of working on a few things. And some of it was my stuff and some of it was other stuff. Some of it was his stuff.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: His record, The Holy Pictures, which is an incredible album, actually. Incredible album. It was a real joy to work on that. Actually, it was probably just working on that. Then him and I got chatting and he was like, okay, w- what songs do you got? And it was funny. All the songs that I thought were my strong ideas. He was like, nah, nah, nah. And then the ones that I thought were completely for me private, private songs, you know, part of that 80% that no one ever gets to hear, you know. hmm They were the ones he was going, Now that there we go, that's got something. Let's let's do that. And so we just started on a journey and we, and we there was talk of it being an album and then it was going to be an EP, and then Terry George had the sure, the the short. Mm-hmm film and he was around the house and we were chatting and he'd heard that and he was, he wanted that straight away. And then he sort of, yeah. So it's, it just kind of happened again, default mm-hmm. rather than design, just be in there, um, by working. Yeah. The, the harder you work, the luckier you get. I'll tell you that. Mm-hmm. You just end up in, better, in right places from time to time. Cause you put yourself in those positions so uh, yeah, that's how, and then that sort of gave us the impetus then to really do something with it. It was like, okay, now we've got, we got to go. We've got a finish line. Here's the finish line. Let's get the show wrapped up and release this as an EP. And then we're done because we've been working on it for like off and on over three or four years. And, you know, oh, wow. I, I think we were both getting frustrated. He was probably just getting more frustrated with me, to be honest. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: I well, wow! I mean, the, the film was amazing too. I mean, what it get us an Academy Award? It won
1: an Oscar. Yeah, that's right. Yeah.
0: Wow! Did you get to take yeah. part in that at all, or was that just something that happened for the film? And or you know because what? you're a par- big part of it, I would. Say, it sounds like. I mean, with the writing the whole se- score to it.
1: I was at, well. than writing the whole score to it. Let's. Do you know who David Holmes is? Right, David. Yeah. Holmes
0: no. And- yeah. But I'm just saying that you were a part of it. Okay. Yeah, uh, that's yeah, my yeah, point. No, no. <laughs> david
1: did this i did i uh, did contributed and i <laughs> i wrote songs and stuff but david did the score david is the man that does the scores i had no so okay. no i was in. i was actually in a in a in nancy's bar in our dry gall uh, okay uh having a having a sing song in fact we were playing scrabble was what we we're doing One <laughs> uh when I, and i got the text going we won the oscar
0: wow That's huge. I mean, how do you even react to that? Is it just like, oh my gosh, like this is insane, or like, what was that like?
1: Oh, do you know what? It's easy for me because I didn't win an Oscar. Do you know what I mean? I was just, I was overjoyed for Terry.
0: Okay. uh, Yeah.
1: For Terry George, you know, you know, it's not like it was, you know, the best score to a short film for, it was but the, still to be a part of the film.
0: project yeah
1: for sure no i was i was honored to be part of the project and honored to have worked with david holmes and honor honored to work with terry george um but i it was just more a kind of i that yeah i was i was over the moon for for terry really mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. just over the moon for him yeah That's it was a, cool for him to bring, bring, a, cool. bring an oscar back to northern ireland was
0: Cool, yeah for sure with that, with that next record, when do you well, real quick? When do you meet Ed Sheeran, and when does that, your relationship with him form? Because I know he what he's on the next record, right? Joy of Nothing. Uh,
1: he is, yeah. Um, so Ed, Ed's dad would bring him to my gigs. I think the first time Ed saw me, it was at a festival in Y, down, down in in England. Mm-hmm. Um. And I was on after a band called Nisloppy that Ed used to guitar tech for when he was like 13. Been, oh, like, wow. Since he was 13 or something like that. Something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was at the gig with them and that's where he saw me. And then he had his dad bring me to like, I can't remember. It was a lot of gigs uh, after that, like 40 odd gigs or something. He would come like shows in London, shows in Norfolk, shows and wherever he would be there.
0: He'd come see you to see you play. Okay.
1: Yeah. yeah. And I, wow. I, I gigged a lot at that time. That's kind of all I did was gig. I didn't really release song or release music. I, I made little EPs and sold them on the road and gigged and mm-hmm. tried to pay my rent. That's what I did. Uh, but yeah, so that's where the relationship began, I suppose. And then just before he released, uh, plus his first record,
0: mm-hmm. there were
1: murmurings of this kid coming up through the ranks and, that was like all everyone was excited about, and it was a, a mate of mine, Michael Leckie, a photographer. Uh, he knows Ed, and Ed had said to him, "Like you know, Foy, right?" Because Michael and I were we're both from back home, and but we actually lived in the same place in London, so we'd see each other in the coffee shop or whatever. And and Ed was like, "You know, Foy, right? Would would you ask him? Can I get his email? Maybe maybe we could write together." Uh, so Michael hooked us up, and Ed sent me a team. And another song, which I can't even remember what it was. But I remember getting A-Team. And I remember listening to it and going, this is great. Uh, This is cool. I don't know what to add. I don't know what I would So I got back to him and I said, hey, listen, you're great, man. This is killer. And I hear loads of shits happening. And I think it's probably definitely gone like this. is, But I don't think I'm your guy to write with because I don't, you know, this is a vernacular that doesn't, I don't really write in. And also, I didn't co-write at the time anyway. I didn't really write with anyone else.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Not, yeah. Maybe I, I was going to say not out of snobbery, but maybe it was in hindsight. I don't know. But I think it was just out of keeping, keeping it sacred mm-hmm. was what it was. I was trying to make sure I kept it. You know, I didn't want to... Loads of people said, do you want to write? Do you want to write? And I'd be like, why? <laughs> why? If, if we write, is that, is that then so money? Is that why we're writing money? You want to write <laughs> something that makes money? Or what do we write? Why would we write if we don't know each other and we've got nothing to say? And I guess that's where I was coming from at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I actually recommended he write with a guy called Luke and from Ms. Loppy, the band that he
0: was. Oh really? He to,
1: yeah, and he was yeah. like, That's really funny he said it's really funny you should say that. I actually know Luke, and I, you know, that's where I first saw you. And we anyway, the point is that's a long wow. to day. That's where it sort of started. Okay. And we kept we kept in touch. And then when he started doing real well, he did what Ed does. And he reached out to everyone that he met along the way coming up or anyone that he was inspired by along the way. And he gave us all a crack at a tour or whatever. And he gave me a, he gave me a shot at a, at a, a support tour with him in the UK and in the States. Um, and I just thought this stage, I'm like 38 year old baldy white Irish dude that lives in the mountains. Like, when the fuck am I ever going to go on a pop, like a legitimate pop stars tour again? Mm -hmm. I'm never going to get asked to do that. So I thought, yeah, let's do it.
0: Yeah. Uh, sure.
1: But then my marriage broke up and my daughter ended up coming on the road with me and it was all hell broke loose. uh, And Ed was really kind of there as a friend, really kind of solid and solid with my kid, Ella as well. And still is to this day. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, um, very good with her and I guess just through hanging, we ended up with the guitars out and singing, and then before I knew it, we had written the song, and I I, I sort of didn't know we were writing it. <laughs> he told me afterwards, yeah, that song was going gone on some CD, and I was going, what song? And he was going, touch and go. You wrote you wrote it with me. And I was going, I didn't write that, man. I stood there and watched you write it. <laughs> and he was like, no. no he was like, no, 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 you remember, you come up, whatever, whatever. So I, he kind of opened my eyes to this kind of co-writing world in, the, in that mm-hmm. tour with him. Uh, in, in the best possible way, you know, because it's kind of, by that point, I, my goodness, I, I just loved the kid. I would have done anything for him because he, he really kind of pulled it out of the bag. I mm-hmm. thought I was going to have to lose the tour and, and stay at home and be with my kid. Mm-hmm. And he was like, what? Get on the bus, man. Bring the kid with you.
0: That's amazing. That Bring the is kid so with cool. You. Let's
1: go. And I was like, are you sure? And he's like, absolutely. And he looked after his, uh, he looked after his, uh, Royal, you know, real sweet, sweet human.
0: That's he just seems like such a sweet person. Even watch him yeah. in that movie yesterday, and the fact that he's able to like make fun of himself. Like my favorite part of the movie is when he's like walking, he's like in the back backstage and his phone rings and it's his song, his song is playing as his own ringtone. Like I just thought that was so funny. I'm like, of course, like he's that cool that he's like. Yeah, I'll just jab it myself by having my own song as like my my ringtone to my phone. <laughs> yeah. No, like, you know
1: what? Nine times out of ten, see when something funny comes online about Ed. Like, do you remember Ed Shreds? Oh yeah, yeah. remember the Shred series? So the yeah. first person that ever sent that to me was Ed. No way. You know, so I think I think he finds it hilarious, man. He does. You know, he takes himself seriously when he needs to, and he knows yeah. that. You know. He's, a, he's 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 got it figured out. I wish I had the head on, head on uh, me that he has at that age. I mean, it <laughs> yeah. it was remarkable to see this kid. What was he when I met him? Twenty one, twenty? I don't
0: know.
1: Yeah. Just, not only did he have the world at his feet, but he knew exactly what to do with it. It mm-hmm. was incredibly inspiring. It was like, wow, where do people like you come from?
0: Yeah. I mean, he's a, he's a superstar, obviously. I mean, that's so, but to, to be so humble and so cool to say, you know what? No, come on. And I feel like the pe- it, most people that can gain success or the people that do and, and, and have the longevity are people that are like, like that. Right. I mean, they're, they're humble and not just like, I'm a rock star. Like I'm above you type situation. I feel like he's not like that at all.
1: Well, here's the thing. I, I, I imagine Ed would agree with this himself, or say this himself. Ed's a worry, he's not the best singer in the world. Ed's a worry, he's not the best guitar player in the world. Ed's a worry, he's not the best songwriter in the world.
0: But <laughs> guarantee,
1: I, I, guarantee, I guarantee you something. I, I don't no one works as hard as him. No mm-hmm. one, no one like he's so passionate about it, and that passion comes through. If you if you're that passionate about something that's gonna it's gonna relay, it's not about he became I don't he didn't start great.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He became great because he worked his whole off. Mm-hmm. And he still does. He works his ass off. And again, it's always about how hard do you work? You know what I mean? He he wasn't gifted with the best voice in the world and the be- he was flipping ginger and he had hair needs and he wore big glasses. I mean, if you could think of anyone less likely to become one of the world's leading superstars, <laughs> you sure it would be that kid, right? <laughs> yeah. But that's, that's what that's what passion and genuine drive and a genuine heart does you know and mm-hmm. that's exactly what he is and that's why he's got what he's got because he he put the r's in and he and he cares he's real
0: i love that i love that i want to just real quick to touch on well, will join nothing i mean you, you did like a documentary about the recording of the album and people could watch that if they really want to get a you know a real in-depth look at the record um but I'm curious you won the this uh, a prize right in North Ireland North Ireland Music Prize for for that album and what was yeah. I mean how is that like with your like to win that and um is that that must have been a huge deal for you and your family being from North Ireland like was is that like a a massive accomplishment I don't I mean I don't know what it what it means to 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 people in North Ireland if you win that Neither do I Oh okay <laughs>
1: Neither do I. Listen, it's a. This is probably remiss of me to say this, especially on, on <laughs> like it's been being recorded, but it's a. Uh, that was it was the first one they had. That was the mm-hmm. inaugural kind of, one, and um and they're they're really aiming to do something good with it, and I appreciate that, and they're trying to celebrate local music, but as I I would need to dig a bit deeper, but as far as I can tell, it's judged by. It's not like by the folks; it's oh, judged by a panel of people on the Arts Council, um, ah. who, uh, who, in my estimation, I would imagine have a combined age of three billion. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you know. What I'm saying? I mean, I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but I think, I think that could, I think it could mean a lot more than it does if it was put into the hands of, of the people
0: okay uh, yeah that, I, I mean to win the first yeah, that one that's cool i mean to, to win the very first one that's amazing yeah.
1: but, I, mean, <laughs> I, I mean i i mean i don't think you can i it doesn't really matter i mean it doesn't it doesn't if i didn't win it it wouldn't change the art okay when i did win it it didn't you know, the, yeah, you know,
0: it, just, it was just something that happened along the way.
1: I, th- I think awards are literally just about the sweet deal that you get after. You know what I mean? It, like, if you win a Grammy, it doesn't mean you're a better artist. If I was to win a Grammy, it wouldn't mean that I'm better than any o- other artist. It means that for whatever reason, I've kissed enough ass that year and <laughs> gone to enough kind of parties and sang at, at you know, not people's houses and made them feel special that they vote for me. Mm-hmm. And then I win that thing and then you and then you you know, your your fees go up through the roof and you know what I mean? That's what they're about.
0: I I don't really feel
1: like an yeah. award can
0: Sure. No, uh, I see what you're saying. make
1: make me feel like a better songwriter or a worse songwriter than anyone else yeah. for not receiving one, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, no, I see what you're saying. Um, well, to, to just change gears back to, to edge here for a half a second here, cause that's, you signed to his label, um, with the, with the wild swan and, and you're still signed to the label and you put out your most rec- recent record with him. Was that just kind of something that was a no brainer to when he, did he form the label and then sign you? Like, like how did that, you know, kind of, kind of come back around? Even that
1: question took way more than half a second. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh it it came around uh, yeah he he'd set up the label and we'd talked about it, but he he's his first signing was uh another guy called jamie um and then i I was at a situation where I was free, and we just had a chat I was like, would you do you want, I'm about to go and shop this somewhere else if, mm-hmm. you know we what do you think? Uh, and he was in he was like yeah great let's do it do you know what the the, the coolest thing here's another measure of the man and his commitment to being a patron not only to me a lot of people but he's a patron to me and here it is in a nutshell after I did the wild swan with him Mm -hmm. and I went to town we put some serious uh, time energy and money into that record and and the whole two year plan and I worked my ass off because I wanted to please my label boss, who, you know, Ed, mm-hmm. who, uh, and, and the team around him, actually, that, who, who were all very supportive. Um, I really wanted to please them. So I, I worked as hard as I could, took every gig, did every interview, turned up on the radio stations around uh, the U.S. And actually, I want to I get back to the radio quickly at some mm-hmm. point. Um, no, go ahead. Just to, say, just to say something about American radio which is different. Um, I worked so hard. At the end of that two years, I had by that stage had a new son who was six months old. and I I was at Ed's house hanging. I think we were writing or whatever. But the tour was over and I was going home and I pulled him aside and we're having a a chat. And I said, Ed, I've got to be honest with you, man. I'm never going to work that hard again in my life. Uh, I'm never I'm never gonna tour like that again. I'm eight months on the road. No, it's not me. Two weeks is too much. You know, two weeks too much already. Mm-hmm. Um I I can't tour like that again. And I don't think if I do another record with you, you're gonna make your money back. I mean, I I'm like, dude, if you need to drop me, you do what you do whatever you need to do. I, I just mm-hmm. want you to know I get it, there's no hard feelings. And he said, Foy, every record you ever write, I will release. Wow. <laughs> I said, Ed, you're, you're making it too easy for me. <laughs> but uh, he was like, Yeah, no, like, don't worry about that. You make the music and I'll find a way to make it work. You know, he's a guy. Uh, he's the best label boss in the history of label bosses, to be quite honest with you. I've looked amazing him. My dad always used to say to me, Foy, son, you could fall and shit and come out smelling the roses.
0: (laughs) Well, I want to hear what you have to say about uh, American radio real quick.
1: Well, I I think it's different. Like, earlier on, I sort of made quite a blanket statement about radio and and how all the the only thing that gets played on radio is just this sort of homogenized, you know, give me the Mc3 deal, please. Yeah. Songs that there's... I don't know, no songs, just music, catchy, whatever. Um, but that's talking. I'm talking about mainstream. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think what I love about America uh, are the are the independents. You know what I mean? That are play, that are really trying to kind of push local stuff, or or just play, kind of play cool shit. Uh, that that aren't kind of as tied into. You know, here's your playlist, and this is what you got to do. You know, those, those folks that have the freedom to. I heard this CD this week out of the blue and I'm going to play it tonight. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: You know, that still exists in America. And I did. I mean, the station I was
0: on, you could do that. I'm not going to lie. We were we were independent. And my program director at the time was cool enough to kind of let us do that a bit. It wasn't like programmed by some guy in Houston that's going to put the same playlist out to 180 stations or whatever.
1: Yeah, that's what I mean. It's a bit more individuality where, where it's everything else is like I say, it's just a Mc3D. It really is. Mm-hmm. Same shit everywhere you go. And even when it's a different artist, it sort of sounds like the same shit. <laughs> sure. <laughs> it's like, you know, what happened to Variety? Remember Sam Phillips when he started out, that was that was that was almost the raison d'etre. Like every artist has to sound different. Do mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Roy Orbison doesn't sound like Johnny Cash, who doesn't sound like Elvis, who doesn't. Well, he wants to sound like Carl Perkins. (laughs) He would love to have sounded like Carl Perkins. But you know what I mean? Like it was about Willie Nelson, you know, Chris Christopherson voices. uh, That's not so much Sam Phillips, but you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, totally. Of of like where it was like something that stood out that was someone doing something. Mm hmm. And now it it just all feels a bit like wallpaper.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Audio wallpaper. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. You
1: know, you've ripped, you've ripped out the lovely sash windows and put all this white PVC bullshit in. what's going on. Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Well, let's talk about your, your new record signs of life. And you're wearing the hoodie. I like that. Is that a hoodie?
1: (laughs) It's just a a jumper. You, You know what? This is,
0: I like that, though. I
1: wear it all the time. And the, the truth of the matter is, and this is not a sales pitch, by the way. Truth of the matter <laughs> is, it's the, most, it's the most comfortable jumper I have. It's <laughs> genuinely, I don't know. It's who, comfy.
0: You, it fits nice. <laughs> yeah, it's a really cool
1: company. That kind of, it's a really cool company that, that I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to find out the name of them and send it to you so as you can put it in. So as people, you don't have, people don't have to buy this one. Just find out who this company is that make these kind of jumpers because they're as comfortable as get out. They're so cozy.
0: I love it. I think it's a dope sweatshirt. I think it's awesome.
1: Well, you can also buy this one. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I'll buy crazy. that
0: one. <laughs> <laughs> I'll buy that one. Well, tell me about the record.
1: Oh, uh, well. I'm going to sound hypocritical telling you about the record being that I've made the stupid decision to smoke and have a pint here. Chat me But uh Because the record actually came about by getting off. Oh. Drinking stuff. Uh, basically... I don't know. I'd done that tour for wild swan. I'd had that conversation with Ed kind of going, I'm not working that hard again. I don't know what I'm going to do next, but it's not going to look, it's not going to look like that. You know, it's just not going to look like that. I can't be away this much. It's too much on the kids, too much on me, too much on everything. Uh, but then I had all these songs that I'd written that I've collected, you know, the, they were sitting there and my, my managers on me, what's happening. We'll we we'll getting a record together. And I'm like, yeah, 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 I'm getting a record together when I'm off the road. And, I was compiling songs, going through all the songs that I've written and, and, and basically Frankenstein and a record together.-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah and I sort of knew I was doing it too. I was going, that really doesn't make any sense with that and this and actually the whole thing, why, what am I doing it for? Anyway, that, well, you know, what, why I, I don't do I want to make another record? Uh, which is why I went off and made. Uh, from Muscle Shoals and to Memphis. Yeah, you
0: made two it, records in the same year, right? I mean, pretty yeah, much back to back.
1: And, I just wanted to go off and blow out some songs that I'd already written that I liked and was happy with, and that I could I could get away with doing it without employing the you know the whole infrastructure of the label. You know,
0: mm-hmm.
1: we're going to make this the uh, boys next big release. It was just like a side project type thing. Which thankfully, being that Ed Sheeran's my label boss, I can't I, I get away with. And he told uh, you
0: you can put out whatever. <laughs> he told I you you know, can put out everything I'm, you do.
1: <laughs> listen, in fairness, now I must say it's not just him, Ed Hard, the head of the label, the, you know, Greg yeah. and, and Mike in the States. Like the, the 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 label folks are sweet and they're behind it too. Uh-huh. But uh but Ed is the spearhead for sure. Um so yeah, I just didn't know if I even wanted to well, I knew I wanted to make a record, but I didn't know why I was making a record. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I didn't want to tour again, and I didn't really feel like the songs that I, I was compiling really made sense to me or where mm. I was at, and that's because I was in a complete fog. At this time, I was addicted to codeine as well, which is mm. the worst thing sure. ever.
0: Oh, no. I mean, I, I have five years <clears throat> sober, be, and I had the same problem, <laughs> to be honest with you. Yeah, and it's and it was brutal. I've had four neck surgeries, and it just became, uh, you know, something that was the only thing that made me not hurt, and it ended up okay. to, taking a lot from me. So it's a brutal, oh brutal cycle.
1: Goodness. What it does to your mind, what it does to your inside, your organs—it's
0: uh, mm-hmm. crazy. But
1: and those, uh, you know, the headaches that are brought on by it—that the only way to get through them is to get more. Mm-hmm. and uh, it sounds like I was in a similar position to you where I was munching the things, you know, I was munching them like, you know, four oh, in yeah. the morning, you know, yeah, sometimes, yeah. there day. was one time I, I had four in the morning one time in last night's white wine. I'll never forget. I dropped them into the wee bit of white wine that was left. I dropped them in. I was sort of laughing about it because I was still a bit pissed from the night before. Um, and I, and then I drank it and then just, it was like, the, it was, it was the morning. And, you know, so you imagine how how the rest of that day went. I just felt, I had a couple of moments where I realized, hang on, what, how has this become normal? Mm -hmm. You know, and that's road life can do that to you. Road life can make a lot of things seem very normal and they're not normal. You know, it's only when you come back to the cold reality of the cold day of, of, of home life, you know, family life and reality, you know, the the mundanity of a day, you know, the kind of, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's
0: yeah, you it's, it's brutal. It's a brutal, uh, thing to be caught up in for sure. And it's like, gets to the point where you, yeah, like you said, you need it. Right. And then like mm-hmm. the tapering off is like, not even really an option at some point.
1: Yeah. I mean, quite frankly, I'm sort of back there now, tapering off. But thank, I'm not, I have not coding. Mm-hmm. Since since when I gave it up there and whatever that was, twenty eighteen, when I kind of hit the wall, uh, gave everything up for a while, mm-hmm. um, and that was that was when I I wrote Sapling. Really, and it was the first song that I'd written that I felt okay. This is pregnant, you know. This is this is more than just this song. This is because it was real. It was honest about where it was actually at. Like, kind of, okay, I need to give something up here. It's either this or that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And I guess I just felt overwhelmed in that moment that, wow. You know, here, I tell you what, I went to an AA meeting mm-hmm. and the man in front of me, who was Irish, <laughs> you don't have to be Irish to be an alcoholic, but it fucking helps. <laughs> it's a head start. Yeah. It's definitely a head start. Uh, he was talking about being grateful for that meeting that night. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was saying, look, if I wasn't here, I would just be at home in my flat across from the wine mark, looking at the people coming and going, wanting to go over there myself. And it just dawned on me that as grateful as I was to kind of go there and acknowledge where I was at in myself, I realized, hang on, I'm surrounded by people that love me. I've got a studio. I've got an ability to write. Uh, I've got a team of people around me that want me to write and give them music and art that they can then go and put out into the world and think of creative ways of getting out there. I mean, I've got so much going here, so much to live for. Mm -hmm. You know, why am I masking myself every day? Why am I, you know, inhibiting my ability to kind of go off and, and do this? just so that I can feel fuzzy and get drunk. All, I don't know. It hit me. It hit me. It uh, uh, hit me hard. And that that was it. Then it was like, I, the album wasn't called Signs of Life by that stage, cause, but, but Signs of Life had begun for sure. And there mm-hmm. were Signs of Life. You know, there was a sapling, uh, you know, in search of an oak, but I found a sapling. <laughs> and that was enough in that moment. In that moment, it was like, well, fucking okay. There's a glimmer of hope in me. I might grow back. You know what I mean? I can maybe do this if I just stick with it
0: mm-hmm. and I'm
1: still, uh, still trying to stick with it.
0: Well, it's a, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's, it, uh, it's amazing that you're able to get off the, the Cody. I mean, that's the gnarliest thing of, of yeah. all. And I mean, yeah, I, going to I, I go to AA still, and um I but I never did like any of the work. Right, they make you do the steps and do the thing, and I just never did any of that stuff. So I've just been carrying all this baggage, and uh, so I finally like within the last year, I was like, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna take this seriously, and I've and I've been in. And I only go a couple times a week, but it's it's nice. But it's interesting to hear other people speak on something that like I'm like, how do I like? It's weird. It's like I can relate directly to you. Like, how do you are you in my brain? Like, it's really weird. Like. How there's just like, there's total, like, you know, we probably have similar brains when it comes to stuff like that. It's just weird how that is. You can like, mm-hmm. you know, relate to somebody that you've never met or even, you know, never had anything to do with in your entire life, yet they're telling a story that's so similar to yours.
1: Yeah. And then I guess it depends on the meeting too, right? You know, I've been to a couple where it was just like, wow, just this is going like going to evangelical church, just exchange Jesus for sobriety. You know, it's like, yeah. like, like they're they're not telling their story. They're telling you how great it is. They're trying to sell you on this sort of thing. And I'm going, if it's so easy, why are you here? You know, I'm I'm here, right? I'm struggling. <laughs> right, it's not that
0: easy. I think that's part of it, right? It's like it's not easy, yeah. so you have to go
1: there. <laughs> no, anyway, I, don't, I didn't come here for you to tell me I, I don't know. No, I, I
0: feel know. you. I mean, there's a lot of time. I mean, it's it was really hard for me to even attempt to go back to it because i'm like i felt the same exact way and i still i'm i'm i don't know i'm I'm so new to being back there and and really listening to it that like i mean we could talk in two weeks and i'd be like yeah I've, i finally realized like this is not <laughs> you know what i mean it's just one of those things where like it, it's interesting it, it's definitely an interesting thing do you know
1: what there's a great book by a girl called catherine gray it's called the unexpected joy of being sober and uh huh.
0: i'm gonna write this down
1: it's, uh, it's a great it's a great read. I haven't I haven't finished it yet, but it's uh I'm really enjoying it. Uh her writing's very uh it's what, what do they call it now? Quitlet. Quitlet? Is that what they're calling it? Quitlet, you know, when you like quit literature. Oh, really?
0: I haven't you heard that. Yeah,
1: whatever. But you know, it's not it's not like the re- it's not like sort of preachy or whatever. She's just kinda she's very, very real about her experiences, about you know, were, were her addictions of letter and whatnot and Mm-hmm. it's uh right. it's a good read
0: i'm gonna Have check it out of- yeah just sorry i was just writing the fun notes of- on it yeah i'm 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 intrigued to read it uh because yeah there's another one that i read i can't remember the name of it offhand but it was a pre- it was pretty good too like the way it was written i'm like oh wow this is like actually really relatable and not preachy at all so it was yeah. just kind of stories and it was interesting but Wow. Yeah. So, so I mean, back to, to to the record and signs of life. Like, so that was a song that was written kind of around that time time frame. Was that the first song you wrote from the record?
1: Uh. Well, no. The the record ended up having songs on there that I wrote twenty odd years ago. But that's but sapling was when it, the record was. sapling was when I was like, okay, I'm making an album. Okay. And I know and I know what to say, and I know what it's about.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, it's about reemergence. It's about it's about me trying to reconnect with a rebirth of myself that doesn't involve the previous self, uh, which as far as I can tell is a, is an ongoing process, you know, uh, you know,
0: yeah.
1: Constantly going into hibernation and coming back out slightly different and then going back in and then coming out. And, but, you know,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, but yeah, that's so that, that, that was the record was born or that, or the my, the sort of, impetus to make an album was born in in me at that point for sure
0: wow well it's an incredible record and again i love the the version with rag and bowman i i I think his music is incredible and or is that a relationship you had prior to to the song or like how did because you've had a couple different features on that same song right
1: do you know what it's so weird because i i duets are such a funny thing I I did one on Joy of Nothing as you know with Ed but there's a a very specific reason for that Uh, and I knew if it didn't sound right I wasn't going to use it I remember saying to him at the time like I hope you don't feel like if it doesn't sound if it feels out or feels weird or whatever uh, or mercenary that was my concern it was like Mm -hmm. But, but I knew why we were doing it and I yeah so I settled myself in it but I'd never thought of doing a duet since until I was approached about doing one on sapling to release in the states. And at first I went, don't be ridiculous. Like sapling. Who what, what am I gonna who on earth am I gonna do? What would a duet on sapling? I couldn't get my head around it. It was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, and then as it happened when I was in the states, I turned up the Anderson East house in a bit of a bad way, just kind of had a few days of a head wreck and hadn't been looking after myself properly. And as soon as I got there, he put me right, you know, kind of fed me, watered me, took me down, got me an IV drip and stuff. And we had this loads of killer chats and stuff. And Mm -hmm. I remember that night saying, would you be interested in doing a cover of this thing? Because I felt at that moment, he'd kind of, he'd pulled me out. You know what I mean? If it wasn't for him in that moment, I was, uh, He turned me around, got me back on. I I ended up finishing the rest of that run a different man. than I came into it because of the time I'd spent with him. So I was like, that makes I call. Steve, my manager was like, I, it makes sense to do it, but only with Anderson East. He's the only person that I could do this with. Mm -hmm. And then it went well. And then the UK label were like, oh, let's do it again. And I was thinking, oh, here we go again. (laughs) Um, But out of of the list of names they sent me, I saw Rory's, Mm -hmm. you know, rag and bone. Yeah. And uh, I immediately uh, I re- responded. I want him. <laughs> if, he, if 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 Rag and Bone would do it, that's the only. There's a, there's no one. No one else would make sense, and that's just because I I know Rag and Bone. Uh, we met years ago, uh, when he was releasing Human that record uh-huh. just before he released it. I I helped him write Odetta. Um, I really connected with him. I just I. I remember sort of feeling for him over the years because he's a, when he, when he started to do really well, I got a bit concerned because he's not this sort of, you know, young, white, malleable, blue eyed soul boy that they would like him to be, <laughs> uh, you know? So he's not, I knew he was, I knew he was going to come up against, I knew they were going to try and go, Oh wow, this is hitting. So now we want to push you. And I knew mm-hmm. he'd be going, ah, Cause he's, he's a folky at heart. Actually he loves, folk music is his real passion interesting um and now he's, he was sort of being forced into these pop roots and i don't know i sort of kept in touch with him over the years basically and because i, I was thinking wow how's how's a guy like that going to handle this fame because he's mm-hmm. a, he's a social worker that's what he was beforehand or a care worker sorry really a, a care worker yeah wow he's, a, he's, he's the I know cuz he looks like a big giant scary monster and he's this <laughs> sweet soft gentle man, you know, he's so gentle and so yeah. caring and uh and very family oriented, you know.
0: <laughs> yeah. You see him with his face tats and you're like, "Okay, this guy uh, doesn't look like a <laughs> social worker type."
1: He looks like he beat the shit out of you as quick as right. I, say hello, you know. But no, he's he's as sweet as they come uh and that's uh, amazing. I'm an inspiring, dude. So I again I was like, "Okay, uh if Rory if Rory would be interested that that would make sense to me and he was and then and then he came up here and we wrote a couple of songs and we're going to write again shortly and
0: incredible well that that's awesome and that's funny i didn't know that he was uh such a sweet sweetheart at heart oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah he was well, that's awesome well Foy thank you so much for doing this i really really appreciate you you know, taking so much time to hang out with me today. It's really been a lot of fun. Um, I have one more quick question for you. I want to know if you have any advice for aspiring artists.
1: It's hard to distill this. This question comes up a lot, right? And it's hard to distill it in any one thing. Um, In a word, listen. You don't pack that yourself, but listen and listen close um, and work hard. That's it. That's it. Listen, listen to yourself. Like don't do shit that you don't, don't only, only do shit that when you listen to it and you, and you, you listen to that idea, or you think about that idea, you feel passionate. If you don't feel that, don't do it. Don't do it. And when you do feel it, work hard fucking twice as hard as the hardest working motherfucker you know